0: Would you please pray with me? Lord, we hear such a text and where each and every one of us are challenged in some way or another what it means to take up our cross and follow you. And I pray this would be such an encouraging word to each and every one of us. Challenging but encouraging so that we would be a salt to the earth. Take our minds now and think through them. Take my lips and speak through them. Take our wills and bend them to your own. And take our hearts and set them on fire with love for you and for your son, Jesus Christ. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Iris, you did so well, I thought you were going to read the whole chapter. We're in Luke 14, verse 25, my friends. Now, there's some people, unfortunately, due to to, uh, a doctor's orders, you have to go on a restricted diet for a season. Some of you know what that's like, just to eat bland food, Uh, you know, plain oatmeal, unseasoned vegetables, you know, canned fruit in water, uh, unsalted crackers, plain tuna on plain lettuce, uh, tofu with chamomile tea now God bless you if you like that food good for you I'm glad you do um, but let's admit it you won't find any of those recipes on the food network you won't and yet in today's passage when Jesus asks us and those this crowd here to count the cost of what it means to be a disciple it comes out to be salty verse 34 salt is good he describes the believer as salt. You know, have you ever had a, a real Virginia Smithfield ham? I'm talking legit. It's been smoked and cured. The only thing it's done is been salted real good and hung in the smokehouse for months. We were gonna have one this year, but they're 150 bucks. And it was just Kimmy and me, and that would have been ham from now till Christmas for us. So we're like, man. You know, I wanted one so badly because there's nothing like it. It's phenomenal. Why? It's been salted, cured. That's who we are in the kingdom of God to one another and to others along the way. And so as we wrap up emotionally healthy discipleship with loving the Lord and loving others, we look at this challenging passage, and Pete Scazzaro brings us full full circle, quite frankly. We started here. We're going to end here as we hang loving others on the trellis of loving Jesus. All right? So I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Luke 14. That's what that's what rule means in the ancient world. A rule of life in the ancient church was a trellis. You know, we all have trellises. We hang plants and let the plant grow up in the summer. I have one in front of my light post. Kimmy won't let me cut the plant down because all August and September, my lamppost is covered with this beautiful, what's it called? Clim- uh, climbing what? Clematis. Clematis. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's beautiful. The neighbors come by and go, ooh, ah, I go, can I cut it? I like my lamppost. Anyway, um, that's what the trellis does. It's a, a form on which to grow. And we're going to, strive. Like I said last week, we're beginning to love others. We've learned some skills to love others, but it's all based on who we are as disciples, all right? See, being a disciple and we love others, it's just loving people as we are. It's not what we do as much as who we are as God's people. In today's passage, Jesus is up front for what it means for us to call ourselves a Christian. He uses the word disciple, and we learn four things in this passage that are essential for us as Christians, essential as we are disciples at Christ Church, who make disciple makers. First thing is, number one, Jesus' discipleship is not optional. Verse 25, now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned to them and said, well, we, we learn this point that it's not optional mainly from the context. When he says large crowds were traveling with him and he turned to say, and said to them, he turned to them from whom? His disciples, his, his disciples who had signed up for this full-time service. He turns around and he doesn't just speak to them about words about discipleship and about the cross and all that. He says this to everybody and by that i mean is that there's not a two-tiered christianity there's not a christianity that says well i believe but those people those those people who really take it seriously are on another level than i am you know there's the regular christian level and then there's the regular christians who believe but they don't get really excited about it They believe and they pray when there's trouble. And then there's the devoted ones. You know, the devout Christians, they're called. They're the people who are all in on Christianity. And what Jesus is saying is there's not a two-tiered system here. There's one system, and if anybody wants to deal with me, they have to take up their cross. They have to... Hate their father and mother and put me ahead of everything, family, career, everything else. I'm number one, full, complete, sacrificial standards, discipleship. There's not two. To be a disciple, to be a Christian, is to say, I'm all in. You can't say, I'm a Christian, but I'm not into that. No, there's there's not two standards. Don't you hate mobile phone bills you know they said forty dollars a month but after taxes and fees and operator fees and and some guy who's sitting in a cubicle gets a bonus for selling you something you know your bill instead of forty dollars all of a sudden sixty right why because it's hidden costs they don't tell you the real costs because the hidden costs are in the fine print that some lawyer in New York wrote that you can't understand even if you did read it. That's not Jesus. There's there's one standard and one standard only, and he's up front about it. He doesn't hide the cost. He doesn't hide the difficulties. He doesn't hide all the difficulties that we may endure as a follower of Jesus. To be a Christian is to be a disciple. To put Jesus first and to kiss everything else goodbye, we're going to follow him. So first of all, discipleship is not an option for you. Secondly, being a disciple at times is surprising. I mean, you heard Iris read verse 26 and you go, say, what? If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Look at that range of relationships. Father, mother, wife, children, brothers, and sisters. Remember, we are a Western individualist secular culture. This is more shocking to the ancient Near Eastern culture as it would be today in the Eastern cultures. This is shocking. What Jesus is saying, he's laying out the way our life is supposed to go. This is what everyone's life consists of. When your life is revolved around your family and your extended family, and that's what Eastern cultures know all about. You know, Eastern cultures, you don't disgrace your family. You don't marry somebody unless your family approves. If you're madly in love with someone and your family doesn't approve, you wouldn't think about marrying them. They, they all know how vastly important. You don't, you don't move away from your family. What Jesus is saying, he's looking at the normal agenda of such a person's life, and he's saying, you can put me first. You have to be willing to kiss that all goodbye. He's saying it in a different way, but don't dare you come to me with your agenda for your life, with your outline of what you want to accomplish, and then try to fit me into your plan. I will not be used. Because you want to be a better husband or a better wife and have a happy family, that's great. But don't even come to me just because you want a happier life or a better family. You come to me for me, says Jesus. You come to Jesus in a way that doesn't even compare to your other relationships. He says, you must hate your father and mother, your brother, your sister, your wife and child. What better way could he have said that? Don't come to me to be relevant. Don't come to me to be exciting. Don't come to me because I'm fulfilling. Don't come to me because I will make you a better citizen. Don't go to Christianity in order to build a greater society. Come to me for me, says Jesus. He's saying, I will be the most relevant thing in your life. I will be the most thrilling thing. But not if you, me, if you come to me to fit me into your agenda. You come to me because I'm true. Not because I'm relevant, though I am. You come to me because I'm the burning joy of strength for your day-to-day life. Because I'm your true Lord. Your true life. Your true way. Period. Therefore, Jesus is saying, don't come to me with the atti- attitude Well, Lord, this is the way it goes. Father, mother, then you, then my wife, then my children. No, Jesus will not be tamed that way, my friends. You know, the the, the scene in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe where Edmund, Lucy, Peter, and uh, Susan are eating dinner with the beavers. And the beaver announces to the children that Aslan's on the move. And he describes Aslan for who Aslan is. He's a lion. And Edmund foolishly says, a lion? Is he safe? (laughs) You know this. I've said this uh, often, right? The beaver just laughs and goes, safe? (laughs) Who said anything about safe? Of course he's not safe but he's good he's the king i tell you and what jesus christ is saying to us in this passage is i'm not safe but i'm good you have your nice little suburban life outlined and planned out and all but don't try to fit me into that don't make me the ends and the means in the life your life the end Your life is the means, and I am the end, says Jesus. When you come to me, you're not a disciple unless you come to me and say, Lord, I'm with you, whatever. So let me ask you, 16 weeks of loving God, (laughs) loving your neighbor, loving others, is your life with the Lord a little bland do you just pray sometimes? Go to church. Go to church sometimes. You believe, but you're basically believing your life and things are going pretty well. And every so often you turn to God for spiritual strength. Is that you? Well, that's not the life Jesus envisions here. Third, Jesus' discipleship is passionate it's emotional why would he choose this word hate in verse 26 if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters yet even his own life cannot be my disciple most people look at this word and you really know what he's getting at right Nobody seriously believed Jesus Christ was saying here you should hate in the sense of being actively hostile to to these people. Because he also says, you know, love your enemies. (laughs) He also says on the cross while he's dying, he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. We're, We're not even allowed to hate our enemies. You know, we can't, we can't. And call ourselves a follower of Jesus. So, how in the world could he be talking about that way about our families? Because he's not using the word in the active hate sense. And in biblical terms and Semitic language and usage of the Bible, the word "hate" can mean hate actively or hate comparatively. The best example that we have in the Bible of this is, is Genesis twenty-nine with Jacob. And the way he loved Rachel in comparison to the way he loved Leah. You know, the Bible says he hated Leah. Did he actively hate Leah? No. Verse 30 actually explains that he loved Rachel more. What that means, he hated Leah not actively, but comparatively to how he loved Rachel. His love for Rachel was so incredibly great That his treatment of Leah, even though it wasn't mean, he didn't curse her. He was affectionate with her. He wasn't unkind to her. But compared to Rachel, his attitude toward Leah was hate. It was a comparison. And suddenly then you realize what Jesus is saying here. What he's saying that he wants his disciples is, I want you to love me. I want and offer a kind of love that will make all those loves pale in comparison. I don't want sentiment. I don't want just an inspirational feeling at the end of the sermon. I want a love as real as your love for your wife, or your husband, as real, as passionate, as interactive, as delightful, That so much more that it makes every kind of human love pale in comparison. Jesus would say, I want to be your Rachel. And so what he's demanding here is a really searching, examining question for each and every one of us as we search to be the disciples he's called us to be. Now, I'm not saying that discipleship has nothing to do with the will or with volition or duty. There are times in the Christian life you just get up at a real inconvenient time on Sunday morning and get to church, right? Especially when it's raining. Or do your your time in God's word, or, or prayer, or go do some service of some kind. Of course, there's times we do the duty. Of course, the whole idea of the cross means I'm doing what it takes no matter what. There is obligation. Of course, there's obedience despite our feelings at times. But that's not the heart of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Jesus is actually saying, You're not a disciple of mine unless you're emotional about it. He's saying, Love me. Put me first. I need to be more important than your father, your mother, your wife, your brother, your sister, your children. He doesn't just say it that way, but there are other places that he does. He's not just talking about a priority. He's talking about more. He wants us to love him with every ounce of our being above everyone. So is your life kind of bland right now? Do you just pray sometimes? Do you go to church? Do you believe, but basically you're pursuing your life and your things? You want to delight in him? Jesus wants you to delight all in him. He's taking every other kind of human love and saying, I offer something and I want something that makes them all pale in comparison. Paul says this in Romans 3, Romans 5 rather, 3 through 5. He says, we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. But where does it come from? And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given to us. When it's saying he's searching, it's searching me and it's searching you, this love. Do you think you are where you need to be as a disciple if you're just there every time the church doors are open? Doing the right thing? How is your prayer life? Do you just say your prayers? I hate that when they say, Johnny, go say your prayers. (laughs) You're teaching the kid vain repetition, just saying the same thing as a mantra. He's praying to the living God of the universe. Teach him, Dad. Teach him. Because God wants to have a sense of communication and delight. I offer something Jesus says that makes everything pale in comparison. So what's the engine of your life? Jesus is not saying, make me first in your life, though he is. He's not just saying, do your duty, though he is. He's saying, love me. And Augustine, in his confession, says we cannot love Jesus in this way until our loves are rightly ordered. He says it's because we have a problem with this because something's too important to our hearts. Your parents' opinion is too important to you. It has you by the throat. Your friend or the person who rejected you is too important. Your boss's opinion of you, the money or the career is too important. It has you by the throat. And Augustine asked the question in the confessions, where are you going to get the freedom you're looking for? What are you going to do to get Peace. There's only two things you can do. first thing you can do is you can actually try to hate and say, well, my parents were such idiots. To get a little bit of freedom or to say, that person rejected me. What do they know? They were flawed people. They were trash themselves. No, but Augustine says the only true way we're going to overcome anything like that is to recognize the love of God for us more and to love God more. He says the thing you need to go from being a coward to being bold, to go from being a bitter person to a peaceful person, the thing you need to go from being inferior to being confident, the love of Jesus Christ has to be so real that it eclipses all of the things. In other words, You don't love anything too much. You love Jesus Christ too little in relationship to them. Therefore, the essence of a transformed character, the essence of what it means to grow in discipleship is to hate all these things comparatively and let him be the Rachel of your life. You really have to have that kind of love. You really have to receive that kind of love. That's the essence of what it means to be a Disciple deeply emotional and passionate. A disciple of Jesus Christ is someone who is emotional about Jesus Christ. And you're not a disciple unless you're not emotional about him. That's what he's saying. I want you to put me first. I want you to love me. And you might ask, well, how in the world do you do that? Love him the way Augustine says. Do you just muster it up? No. Look at verse 27. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. We take up our cross and we follow Jesus. Notice he doesn't say, take up my teachings. Take up my example. Because if he did, like other religious teachers do, you'd just get crushed under that weight. I mean... Read read Matthew five through seven, the Sermon on the Mount, and just see if you can live that. Don't envy anyone. Forgive everybody. Be poor in spirit. Who lives that way? Right? No, he he doesn't. That's not what he's saying. He said, take up your cross. And you might think, well, that sounds horrible, very negative. Actually, it's not at all. You know, he says to take up that cross can only mean one thing. It means you must put yourself in the place of a condemned criminal. And it's not actually awful at all because the condemned criminal that we're speaking about is Jesus Christ himself. Who are you identifying with? The essence of the discipleship is to realize that Jesus died and you died with him when you placed your trust in him identify with Jesus. Paul says in Colossians 3 set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God you died it's done the Bible says it over and over when you place your trust in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation the minute you place your entire trust on him you were buried with him It means God looks at you right now as if you've paid all the penalty for every cent of your sin. So if you're a person who believes in Jesus and you start to beat yourself up because of your sin and you feel so guilty, don't. Why? Because as far as God's concerned, you've already been beaten. You've already had a crown of thorns placed upon your head. You've already had a spear through your side. You've already been nailed to the cross because Jesus did that for you, and you've been buried with him, so when he sees you, he sees Jesus. So when God looks at you, he sees what Jesus has done. Therefore, to put yourself in in the place of this condemned criminal means that every day you get up, and like he says in Luke 9, 23, we take up our cross daily, and we follow Jesus every day. Remind yourself who you are in Jesus Christ. Remind yourself that you have died with him. You remind yourself that you have nothing to prove to anybody. Remind yourself that you're accepted. Remind yourself of what he did in order to get this done for each and every one of us. Take up that cross. And you live in its shadow. The sun's coming down, but you're walking in the shadow of the cross all the time. What it means is on one hand, I'm living a life of sacrificial service like Jesus, but also means I'm doing it out of the fullness of knowing what he did for me. You realize what this is, right? This is emotionally healthy discipleship. From knowing your position and your identity in Jesus Christ, knowing your standing, knowing what you look like to the Lord. Therefore, I can love others well. I can listen. I can fight clean. I have nothing to prove. And it's deeply emotional because of the status that each and every one of us have in Jesus Christ. You can live it out of your emotional wealth because of your favored status in Him. Your identification with Jesus Christ upon the cross. That's what it means to take up your cross every day. It means you can live like that. You see now when it says you have to hate your, even your own life? To hate your own life doesn't mean you self-loathe. You know, to be filled with self-loathing, self-disdain... I me mean, really, is actually self-centeredness. You're actually very absorbed with yourself. You're thinking about your needs. And you're thinking about your own sense of failure and how people look at you. Tim Keller says, we're being called in this verse to an ego crucifixion on the basis of Jesus' crucifixion. And it looks like self-forgetfulness rather than self-loathing. Therefore, you have nothing to prove because you know who you are. I know what's happened. Therefore, you know, I don't care if I get snubbed and don't get invited to the party. I don't care if, if I apply for the job. I hope I get it, but my identity isn't in that job. It's not the most important thing in the world because I live in the shadow of the cross. And because of that unconditional love, I grow. I get plugged into a little church. And growth, just like on the trellis, is gradual. Because that's compared to crucifixion, right? Crucifixions took a long time. Some of them took days. It's gradual. It's going to take some time, like learning a language. It's a process. So what that means is that God is ready to be patient with us. Unless you hate your father and mother, wife and children and brother, even your own life, you cannot be his disciple. Unless you take up your cross and follow him, you cannot be his disciple. But as we do so, in this way, we're useful. What do you describe it as? Verse 34. Salt is good. If you've ever had a Smithfield ham, you know that salt is good. But if salt has lost his tate, how shall it be restored? It's, it's not used for anything. It's thrown away. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So my friends, how does this concept of sacrificial love encourage you this morning? As you relate to differently to those who love you the most. God's love is contagious. And when we walk in close fellowship with Jesus like this, God's love flows through us to those around us. And the Holy Spirit fills us so we can extend God's love, unconditional love, to others as salty people. May it be so among us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I ask that you would come now and you would give this to us today, every one of us. As we were listening to this passage, it's one of those hard sayings of Jesus And we've probably been, you know, poked at some point. And Lord, there there may be some here this morning who feel that this whole thing sounds incredibly unreasonable. And only a religious fanatic would pick up this kind of faith. And there perhaps are those who are despondent because in spite of the fact that discipleship is based on identification in Jesus, there are people who just don't understand what that means yet. It's just a concept to them. And as a result, the whole thing seems crushing to them. I pray that you would move us, Lord. That we would have a passionate faith in you. Convict us where we're falling short. Encouraging us where we're doing well. And I pray that each and every one of us would understand the beauty and the challenge and the adventure of this call to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Loving you, loving others, all for your glory as salty people. For in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen.